Machine listening is an investigation and experiment in collective learning, instigated by artist Sean Dockray, legal scholar James Parker, and curator Joel Stern for Liquid Architecture. Staged as part of the NTUCCA Singapore's recurring free jazz exhibition program, this iteration of machine listening focuses on the complex and evolving dialectic between improvisation and control, framed via a detour into the experimental computer music laboratories of the 1980s and 1990s where the term machine listening first begins to circulate. Here we hear work from Jessica Feldman, Mateen, and Lee Gamble. The full event is available to watch on Liquid Architecture's YouTube channel. Jessica Feldman is a sound and media artist and researcher based in Paris and New York City whose work is concerned with the use of digital technologies to imagine, facilitate, or repress solidarity, especially through listening. For this event Jessica presented a new piece for online ensemble and commercial vocal effects sensing software. The piece uses an open graphic and text score to describe emotions, which the performers are instructed to sound and constantly test against the affect monitoring software, creating a counterpoint and harmonies of emotions. Hi Jessica. Um, Hi. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, we first came across your work uh, because of this work, because of this um, essay that you'd written on affective computing, um, and specifically a kind of a range of apps and applications that applying affective computing to the speaking voice. And, um, you know, uh, it's sort of heady stuff. It's, um, I mean, to me, like a slightly kind of scary um, proposition, um, but you're, you're better placed to speak about uh, it than me. Um, could I ask you to sort of introduce these apps and then maybe say a few words about the work that's kind of grown out of them? Sure, sure. So the article that you referenced and um, so the piece I'm going to present today are um, sort of both um, dealing with these uh, emerging technologies, maybe emerging over the past 10 years or so, that listen to the voice and try to determine affect or emotion or psychological state or um, trustability, like a rather wide range of unquantifiable characteristics or um, states. And what the thing that they're doing is they're listening to sort of the sonic, you know, the contours of the voice, the intonation, the rhythms, um, pitch changes, the rate at which your voice is warbling, these sort of uh, traditionally musical qualities to the voice. And from that data, they make claims about your affect. So in my research, I was sort of interested in both how they were, you know, what sounds they were looking for, but also what kind of rubrics of the human psyche or soul or emotional mechanism they were imagining, because I think that is quite important in terms of how we're going to be conditioned by the machines. Like, what are they listening for in us? So mostly what the article was looking at were, were these... Um, was a software that tries to determine emotion, um, which is now being used mainly for um, enterprise and security purposes for in like in commercial call centers, sometimes in uh, 
like health insurance claims to try to determine if you're nervous about your claim. Um, sometimes it's being used for law enforcement to try to determine if someone is nervous about, you know, whatever it is that they're claiming <laughs> to be true. And more recently, what we're seeing, of course, is a move to AI. Um, so it's sort of a switch from trying to, you know, all this data has been gathered to try to describe our emotional state via the inflections of the voice. And now we're seeing um, voices being made that try to mimic those states. Um, so that's kind of the software that I worked with uh, for this piece. So for this project, I was kind of um, working with um, some other artists here. I'm living in an artist residency in Paris right now. And um, have this great privilege of being together with other people. Um, so we have this opportunity to kind of uh, actually be co-present. And the claim about affect is that it's uh, the, the original sort of like behavioral science claims about affect is that they're transmitted um, you know, from body to body. Um, it's the same as Butts' claim about the voice. And so I was kind of curious about like what happens when you mix the machine in there. So um, I got together a few other artists here um, and we started vocalizing together and then we started vocalizing with the software. And the first thing I did was I made these sort of weird little scores and I'm explaining all of this because I think it makes more sense when you listen to the sounds. So I made these scores of emotions. Um, and we tried that out and we made some recordings together and alone, trying to see how our vocalizing affected each other. Um, and then, so we took our original recordings and uh, ran them through David and then basically did a improv with that to try. And the goal was to see kind of like, how do the affects coming out of this machine affect the way we're expressing ourselves. Like, how are we interacting with this? And is it affecting us or are we just listening to each other? Um, and uh, I'm not sure of the answer yet, but I, I, think, uh, I think it's affecting us.
Martin is an artist, musician and theorist working conceptually with noise and improvisation. 
through his practice he explores performative forms of estrangement as a way to deal with structural alienation, interrogating both our self-conception and sense of freedom under capitalist relations. For this event Matting presents a new instructional piece titled Us Listening to Machines Listening to Us which proposes a collective improvisation using the audio settings of Zoom. For my intervention, I propose to do a collective improvisation taking as a starting point the control settings of Zoom. So is this is an instructional score that will go into the chat, which everybody will be able uh, to follow. And I will also read it. So my intervention will last 15 minutes in total and it requires your participation, if you are willing to participate. You are now invited to turn on your microphone. No, he said. You are invited to turn on your camera. The administrator will add you as a panelist. If you are wearing headphones, Please remove them. And click on the Zoom microphone icon and make sure the output is set to a speaker. Click on the audio settings, which they are in the microphone. Um, icon there go to adjust your microphone input level and your speaker output level increase them both until you feel you are at the verge of feedback without actually feedbacking input level okay and click the setting setting automatically, automatically adjust, adjust microphone, volume. microphone volume in the, the setting settings, suppress background noise change from low to medium to high to auto Improvise with the controls.
My dad, mom. I miss my dad. I miss my dad. I miss my dad. <laughs> 
Sorry, I'm putting a toddler to bed, so I'm just going to lurk quietly. Ditto, my kids will for sure ruin this, so I'm also staying on mute. Kids are the ultimate more than human form of resonant listening. My son busted in during their introductions. The only reason he didn't show up was because of my virtual background. Yeah, great question. <clears throat> I hope kids' voices will never be suppressed as background noise. What better testament to improvisation and control? Hillel Schwartz's massive book noise has a whole PDF bibliography that's like 50 pages just of books about noisy children, or children and the problem of noise. As in, historically understood as a problem, by e.g. Victorians. Lee Gamble is an artist, producer, label owner and DJ of exploratory electronic music and sound who has released music on seminal electronic labels Pan and Hyperdub as well as his own unique imprint. 
for this event Lee presented an essay titled Head Models on Rave Simulation, Involuntary Musical Imagery, Machine Learning, Neural Networks and Hallucination. The essay thinks about his work in the 2010s which dealt with hallucination, echoic memory and audio simulations, connecting it to his current interests in machine simulation by machine learning, deep neural networks and AI. It's narrated by Lee himself with some short interjections from his AI-generated voice clone Moz AI. As a late teenager, I went to my first all-night raves. In them, I was lifted from the greyness of conservative England and into the long-form sensory overload of hours and hours of loud, repetitive sound created by humans interacting with electronic machines. Some years later, I remembered back to these times and distinctly recall being lay in bed the next morning and hearing melodies, loops and fragments of music which I was replaying somehow inside my head. It seems there had been a transfer of information from the club and into my own neuronal system. I wondered whether these loops were real. Was I replaying these things I'd heard? Or was my brain recreating new loops based on ones it had heard and was now encoding them as musicalized hallucination? Had I learned these phrases? Were they echoes? Were they mine? Like listening in itself, memory is an odd, elusive and psychedelic thing. Were you Bobby delusionally? Around the start of the 2010s, I made a series of records that thought about musical memory, reimagining, sound hallucination and simulation. One record in particular, Dutch Tvashar Plumes from 2012, dealt specifically with the idea of these short hallucinated fragments of electronic sound. The sound design task I set myself for creating Tvashar was to invoke the music you bring back inside your skull and not the music that you were listening to in the rave hours before. Sounds emit themselves into your subconscious as hallucinated repetitive non-audible sound events in the realm of simulated vision. When the brain is starved of a stimulation it has been accustomed to, it can respond by attempting to simulate the real world. In this case, involuntary musical imagery. These types of memory 
or simulations are called echoic memory, or in visual terms, you'd call them release hallucinations. But what are their function, if any? Are they useful? How are they encoded? Why do we create simulations anyhow? Perhaps there is a subconscious impulse to take these heard moments and freeze them, eternalize them, if only for a moment. Is there something particular in the nature of electronic music and sound that allows us to store these phonological loops? Or do these simulations occur in other parts of life also? Could your brain simulate the sound of a motorway? Could your brain simulate the sound of the sea? Could your brain simulate the sound of everyone else? Jumping a few years ahead, and I find myself working and thinking with another type of simulating technology in AI, neural networks, and machine learning. How can I utilize them as tools in my work, think about what they're doing, and how they operate with us, for us, and on us? Are they connected to other forms of simulation? Do neural networks have a memory? How do they store information? We can think about musical hallucination as the act of listening to a memory or listening to a simulation. In a similar way, neural networks learn how to learn and learn how to predict and simulate the next nanosecond of reality based on a specific data set of information from the world. Both an audio hallucination and a deep learning model are virtual experiences. Representations of reality that may or may not be entirely accurate, but whose functions are to extract data, filter it, and build a new model of reality, a simulation. In biological memory, we store sound in a neurological buffer known as echoic memory. This buffer is reported to be around 3 to 15 seconds long. Generative pre-trained transformer 3, known as GPT-3, is a third generation autoregressive deep learning language model built by artificial intelligence company OpenAI. It's by far the largest neural network ever trained, with around 175 billion trainable parameters. For context, the second largest model to date 
is Microsoft's Turing NLG, which has around 17 billion. GPT-3 has no form of memory or recurrence in a traditional sense. What it does have is a context window of approximately 500 to 1,000 words. I guess this is where GPT-3 experiences it now. Although not an echoic memory as such, GPT-3's context window is similarly small. And as incredibly powerful as this model is, this is a limitation for its ability to write anything at serious length. But where the format is repetitive, like questions and answers, this small context window is less of a limitation. I know my brain can simulate a short, repetitive, machinic musical phrase. And GPT-3's context window also limits it to dealing with repetition more easily. For me, one of the more interesting things about artificial intelligence is not so much how close we can get to imperceptible simulation, but rather how we can allow it to teach us about how we think, how we are. Of course, although it might seem a simple question on the surface, it also feels quite a beautiful and complex one. Mostly, we're moved to think of human and machinic interactions as separate, connected by interaction, the uploaded mind, the intellectual brain, and a feedback loop that occurs between biology and technology. In 2020, physicist Vitali Vanchurin produced a paper titled The World as a Neural Network, in which he considers, quote, the possibility that a microscopic neural network is the fundamental structure and everything else, i.e quantum mechanics, general relativity, and macroscopic observers emerge from it." End quote. So, to get back to Earth somewhat, I can summarize by asking the same questions about how audio hallucinations build realities for us to observe, by asking again, Could a neural network have simulated the sound of that motorway? Could a neural network have simulated the sound of that sea? Could a neural network have simulated the sound of everyone? Uh... Wow, that was so great. Um... I just wanted to give it a moment or two, a few beats to uh, to gather gather my thoughts. Lee, can we get you on? Thanks for uh, hosting it. What's been the impact of uh, a lifetime of listening to uh, loud club music on, on your brain? Me? I have no idea, I guess. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of, I also, I also remember back to before when I was a real small kid, my, my, my family are from like a kind of building background and factory. And my granddad had a factory for a while. So when I was really small, like in a, in a kind of pram, I used to spend time in a factory. So a whole day would be hearing these factory noises as well. So yeah, I put it, I, I, I blame it for a lot of my um, musical interpretations and my musical interests and likes, I guess. Um, yeah, my, my, I guess my ability to kind of listen to extreme kind of music may, may, may have come from being in the uh, pram in a factory or something. I don't know. And um, am I right that that's not just your first um, audio essay, but also the debut of Moz? Yeah, it's a, it's a voice clone of kind of, uh, well, I haven't really built, I guess, this part of the question of this whole panel, right? I haven't really built it. I've just trained it um, on my voice. Um, and yeah, it kind of does a, it does a pretty decent approximation of my voice. So I thought when you asked me to, to be, to be invited to this and involved in this, I just kind of, I'd, I'd had this kind of thing uh, rattling around my head, this kind of idea of simulation and this stuff I was doing in the early two, 2010, 11, 12, 13, there was kind of thinking about hallucination and musical imagery and things like that. And then also like more currently with like kind of neural nets and stuff. And, and, and it just, yeah, it just seemed to kind of like, they just seem to link together quite well. They just seem to make a lot of sense to me. If you put them under the idea of simulation, as opposed to like technologies that seem different from like, you know, this is a kind of neurological thing that's happening, a technology, if you like. And then there's a very specific set of technological opportunities now with AI more broadly but like so I, I just thought they just seemed to really connect and I it was nice to kind of revisit stuff I'd made a few years ago and kind of make it sort of feel fresh again to me in some way so yeah it was kind of that's that's why I did it and then and then the voice thing just just made sense because I needed to narrate it I didn't really want to do it myself but mm. I kind of just did and then thought yeah it'd be nice to have this kind of thing questioning me or questioning me with my own questions <laughs> something like that yeah it, get, it gets not only this feedback loop it gets more ouroboric you can say than that I guess it gets really strange um and in the end of that that essay there was this piece I found by this physicist called Vitaly Vanturin who who has written his paper he's a he's that that, that kind of poses the idea that the world is a neural network the the universe is is, is a is a microscopic neural network which of course is a speculative paper, but he's a physicist, so he's done some deep math on it. But it's interesting just to think about in terms of, in terms of these kind of cycles and these spirals that you get with, you know, this idea of deep learning being this thing that we teach it to respond back to us. Yet, if his if his if his proposal is true, then then the, the neural networks are built from a neural network, um, which is another confusing. Yeah, I don't even know what the word is for, for that. Yeah, it's just it'd just be interesting to use that as a kind of mirror, right? At the end, just to say, well, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe these these things that we're building from neural networks are already built from neural networks. Um, so yeah. This recording was produced by Mara Schwitvega for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Boon Wurrung and Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognize that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organization for artists working with sound and listening. To learn more head to liquidarchitecture.org.au